Good morning. We've been preaching in the book of Acts, and for the last four weeks, we have just sort of parked ourselves in the first and second chapter of Acts, at looking at the power of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does for us and the power that it gives us to, to get clarity, strength, inspiration for how we live our life. If you haven't been here the last three weeks, you can go online and you can listen to the other messages. This morning, I want to just pick up in the story uh, where Peter has preached this really powerful and amazing sermon to a crowd of about 3,000 people. He tells them the story of Jesus, his crucifixion and his resurrection, and ends with this climax where he says, Jesus is Son of God, Lord and Messiah. The crowds were so incredibly blessed, touched, convicted, that it says that they were cut to the heart. Their heart was cut open. And they looked at Peter and said, what should we do to respond to this message? And then Peter gives the message in Acts 2.37, 2.38, that has been the primary message of the church for centuries about how it is that we are called to respond to the good news of Jesus. What is it that is the gospel? How do we respond? And Peter says in Acts 2.37, 2.38, he says, repent, which means to believe and to turn toward Christ with our life, turn from self, turn to Christ, and be baptized. That's the word I want to underline this morning. I want to underscore the word baptism. I want to talk to you for the next few minutes about baptism and what it means. I'd like to begin by saying that I understand that many of you have come from many different backgrounds. Some of you grew up in a background where when you were old enough to make a decision for yourself, you were baptized and you were immersed. Some of you grew up in church backgrounds where perhaps uh, your parents took you forward during a worship service or during some specific special ceremony and you were baptized as an infant. Also realize that some of you, it took a whole lot of water to baptize you. And then for some of you, it was just a little bit of water. You know, in our church, in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, we respect all the different and many forms of baptism and the way that, that you were baptized. Whether you were baptized in the Roman Catholic Church, or the Episcopal Church, the Lutheran Church, the Methodist Church, the Pentecostal Church, Baptist Church, or the Free Church in the white clapboard on the side of the country road. It doesn't matter. Wherever you were baptized. We respect that and appreciate that. But one of the things that I think is really important is this morning, regardless of how you were baptized, I want to take a moment and look right in your heart. And I want to ask you, when you were baptized, did your heart get wet? It's an important question. Because I want to point out to us that when we are baptized, I don't know how to explain it, I just know I believe it, 
that there is something supernatural occurs when we are baptized. It's more than just a symbol. It's more than just a metaphor. It's not just a religious rite or transaction. The Bible says that we are united with Christ. That we participate in His death, and therefore because we participate in His death, we also participate in His life. And if you're a person who's here this morning and you have no religious inkling and you're not sure about all this, you had a bad religious experience, I would just ask you to be open to what I would say. I was, on the other hand, baptized twice. And I'm going to tell you why in a moment. But for the purpose of this message, I want to refer to something that Paul said as sort of the anchor teaching on the subject of baptism. If you want to know what baptism means, look at Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 6, and then go look at Paul's letter to the Colossians in chapter 2. And I would encourage you to dig into it. But here's what Paul says. He says in verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. That the immersion of our body into the water is like being buried in the way that Christ was buried. We participate in his death. And when we come up out of the water, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. What it's saying here, he's saying, is that when you are baptized, when you give your life to Christ, you're putting away your old life, your old allegiances, your old ways, and you are dying to yourself and being born to a new life, to a new way, to a new allegiance, to a new Savior, to a new Lord. I'm no longer Lord of my life. I have a new Lord, and I'm declaring him before the world that I belong to him. That's it. For he goes on and says, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will be certainly united with him in a resurrection like his. And that's in the present life. What that means is not only when you die do you experience the life with God that God has in mind for you, but it also means in this life, if you're among the walking dead, you become a living person. Your past does not hold you back. Your sins are forgiven and you're free to live the future God has for you with his power. And then he goes on and says, and I'm just going to end with this part. Therefore, because of all this, he says, offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. That means a lot. What it means is offer your life to him for his glory, for his service, and so on. Okay, let me ask you a question. How many of you, let's just do a sports survey. How many of you are soccer fans? Soccer is your number one sport. Raise your hand. Well, there's a, two or three of you. How many of you would say that lacrosse is your favorite sport? Raise your hand. Yeah, you see where I'm from, uh, people wearing masks and running around with sticks, not a good thing. So I don't get lacrosse. How many of you would say that football is your favorite sport? Raise your hand. All right, more than I thought. I grew up in Texas, so you know I'm going to say that football is my favorite sport. Getting a concussion in Texas is a rite of passage. <laughs> it, 
If you've not had knee replacement surgery by the time you're 30, you're not a real man if you live in Texas. But let me show you, let me show you something that you're going to go, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Look at this picture. This is how big it is in Texas. Allen, it says the Allen Eagles, that's a $65 million stadium that's being built. The Allen Eagles is a high school. And you would think that's an anomaly, but it is not. There are more than 10 60-plus million football-sized uh, football stadiums in Texas for high school teams. Now, I'm a cross-country coach in my real job at Eastern. You should see what it's taking us to raise money just to put a new asphalt down for the track. Football is God. Now, let me ask you, how many of you would say that basketball is your favorite sport? Awesome. It's so much fun every year to watch you two hate each other. <laughs> so, so I'll tell you, I'm not, I'm, I, you know, I didn't watch a single basketball game last year. People don't get hurt enough. But, but I have become, of all things, an NBA fan this year. And you don't want to know why? It's not because of the season or the teams. It's because of one player. Right? Steph Curry. And you know why I like Steph Curry? He's, he's humility, his kindness. He is an amazing three-point shooter. I mean, you know, wherever he is, it can go in. He can be flying on his back, doing a double back flip, and it's going to go, right? It's awesome. Well, I've, I've enjoyed watching him for lots of reasons. What I love also is he's 6'3", I'm 6'3". He, he undersized, uh, didn't get drafted by UK. Duvel did, Patino didn't know who he was. What's that school, Duke? No, no. Went to Davidson College. And then lit it up during an incidentally tournament and got picked by Golden State. Not number one, but number seven. Signed an $11 million contract. Now I want you to think about this. Imagine for a minute, Curry gets signed and they give him his $11 million contract. And they hand him his jersey. Here it is, Steph, put it on. You're a Golden State Warrior. And Steph says, I don't think so. I'm going to play for your team, but I'm really playing for me, you know? I'm going to get a Nike contract or Adidas contract, and I'm going to make a lot of money. And uh, I'm an independent operator. Now, a lot of athletes like that, right? They don't really play for the team. You know, they play for the Knicks this year, next year Chicago, next year, or this year Dallas, next year they're going to play for Pittsburgh, whatever, you know, all that. You know, you, it's not a team, they're not team sports, they're superstars. Not Steph Curry, right? Imagine he says, I'm not going to wear your jersey. I know what the answer would be from the owner. I just gave you 11 million good reasons to wear my jersey. I've made an investment in you, and I expect you to make an investment in me. You want to know what baptism is? Baptism is putting on the jersey of the one who invested in you. The Bible says that when we are baptized, we put on Christ. 
The Bible says that when we leave the old life behind and put on the new life, we clothed ourselves in Jesus. And we start wearing Jesus. We wear Jesus to work. We wear Jesus in our home. We wear Jesus in our We wear him. The Bible says that Jesus, in Matthew says, go therefore and baptize all nations. Peter then, in response to Pentecost, says to the crowds, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, not some of you, because God has given us more than 11 million good reasons to wear his jersey, to put it on. And the practice of the early church was that when someone made a public decision for Jesus Christ, they would enter the water of baptism to declare to the world, to the pagan gods, to the Roman Caesar, to the Jewish authorities, to their families and everyone, I am no longer David Emery, I am a follower of Jesus. He has invested in me, and now I'm going to invest in him. You know, I've been thinking this week about my struggle with noncommittal language. You know what I mean by that? Like, maybe I'll do this or so, sometimes I'm going to let it, somebody, if you say to me, hey, David, can we eat dinner next Friday night? I'll say, I'll talk to Teresa. That usually means I don't want to. <laughs> I'm just being honest. <laughs> but, you know, I use a lot of noncommittal language because, you know, all this stuff, you know, maybe I'll do this perhaps. You know, it's not that I don't want to make commitments, but it's easier to push a decision down the road. The reality is you don't really even think about it until the moment it comes due, right? But I started getting very convicted and thinking, you know, I've been trying to eliminate noncommittal language, you know, just to start saying yes and no more quickly. And I realized, how much do I use noncommittal language with God? God's invested in me. God's poured himself into me. And then when I hear his call, I say, maybe I'll think about it. So on Sunday morning, I'm sitting here and I hear this radical call to generosity. And man, what do I do? Yes! Then by the time I get to my car, it's maybe. By the time I get to my house, I'll think about it. By the time I've had lunch and had a nap, I've forgotten about it. Reminds me of this woman named Miss Bernice. Miss Bernice used to cook this awesome meal for me when I was a student preacher down in Waynesboro, Tennessee. Man, she could feed a little preacher. And after a while, you weren't a little preacher anymore because she could put some food on the table, man. That, that woman, Miss Bernice, she invited me over frequently. My mom said, now, do you take something with you when you go to Miss Bernice's house? Because you know when you go to visit somebody for lunch, you're always supposed to bring some. They're cooked that meal for you. You need to make sure you bring some. Okay, mom, I will. So Miss Bernice says, David, I want you to come to lunch again. I'm going to fix you a big meal. And I said, what can I bring? Oh, you don't need, no, my mom says I have to bring something. No, no, no. You no, my mom says I can't come. Okay, bring a dessert. So I'm running around. And I'm on my way to her house, and I forgot my dessert. So I stopped off at the uh, only store I could find in that little town. It was a convenience store and bought her some orange slices. <laughs> so I walked in the house. I said, you got a dish, Miss Bernice? I bought orange slices. And she just poured them in the little dish, you know, and then set them down between the homemade chocolate meringue pie and the apple pie. 
which was next to the roast beef and which was next to the country ham and the homemade buttermilk biscuits, Miss Bernice had made a full table and I'd shown up with my orange slices. I wonder sometimes when I think about the commitment God has made to me and the way I'm so non-committal, if he just looks at me and all he sees are my orange slices. You see, I want to I say something to you this morning, that baptism, baptism is when the supernatural life begins. I mean, it's when you start living for something greater than you. When you start living for someone greater than you. The supernatural life begins when you die to self and begin to live for God. That's what Paul says there in Romans. Paul says in Romans, he says, he says that I began to live when I died. That the way to live is to die. Jesus said, those who want to save themselves will lose themselves, and those who want to find themselves will lose themselves. Baptism is your death of your personal ambition in yourself and the taking on the name of Christ and putting on your jersey saying, I'm signing up for a new team. The reason I was baptized twice, and I'm not suggesting that you need to be baptized twice, I'm not trying to dismiss the tradition in which you were baptized, I'm just trying to get you to take a look at what you did and to tell you that baptism is not a right ritual or a transaction, it's about transformation. The reason I was baptized twice is because my mom and dad walked up to the front of the church one Sunday morning when the preacher gave the invitation to me and to us. We joined the church. He looked at me and said, David, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Well, I said, yes. What am I supposed to do? Say no. My dad was bigger than me. It had been bad. So the next Sunday I was baptized. It was a transaction. It was a decision that someone made for me. This is just how I feel is me. When I turned 15 or 16, I met Jesus Christ and found out all he had done for me. And I said, at this moment, I'm all in. He's all in for me. Every day, God's eye and attention is focused on me. And now I'm going to focus my eye and my attention on him. You see, baptism is a very personal decision, but it's never private. Somebody times people say, well, David, I, I don't want to be baptized in front of people. It's embarrassing to me. Well, tell that to Jesus who was crucified naked on a cross for you and tell me that's a good reason not to get baptized in front of people. That was a little harsh, wasn't it? But it's true. I baptize people, and I'll baptize you privately, but I want you to understand it's a misunderstanding of what it means. Baptism is a public declaration that you belong to a new king. Jesus himself was baptized in front of a crowd of people. It's a public declaration of an inward movement of God in your life. So you look at Romans, you go look at Romans, and you know, let me just say it this way. When Steph Curry put on that jersey, you know what he was saying? I'm, I'm dying to my personal ambition to play for your team. And the reason we like Steph Curry so much is he's playing for the team. He had to die to his ambition. 
That's what baptism is. When you want to play for Team Jesus, you die, you're dying to play for his team. That's what it means. You're dying to yourself. Look at Colossians and look at Romans, and what does it say? It says you got to put to death the old life. When you go in the water, you're saying the old way of living, I don't want it anymore. Now, you're going to keep picking it up. You're going to keep going back to it. You're going to still keep showing up with orange slices. It's the way that it is. Listen, if I had to get baptized every time I had a transformational experience with Jesus, I'd never get, or I needed, I'd never get out of the tub. But, but what baptism, you know, whether you've been baptized, you know, once or twice, whatever, it's this opportunity to continue to say, I give myself to you. I immerse myself in you. I'm going to, so you've been baptized? Great. Go back and look. Have you put to death the old self? Are you putting to death the old things? Are you bearing the old stuff? That's what, so when, you know, when V got up and was baptized, she's saying, the old life is gone. I want the new life. I want to wear the jersey. I want to play for Team Jesus. I'm dying to sell. So let me ask you, what do you need to put to death? Look at the list. What do you need to bring to life? Look at the list. Paul uses the words of clothes. clothes put on Christ. That's what baptism is. Okay, I want to show you a picture. This is my friend Bill Daly. Bill Daly is um, 80 years old, entrepreneur, very successful businessman. And I had the pleasure of traveling with Bill and his family this summer to Israel. And, man, Bill has a heart for God. His life has been an up-and-down journey of following and not following. And he's got a great family. They all love Jesus. And we got down to the Jordan River, and Bill said, David, would you baptize me? It was more than just a tourist thing, you know, although we had to pay $7 to get in. <laughs> yeah, that's all another story. But, uh, but that's the river Jesus was baptized, baptized in. And Bill said, I want my family to know his grandkids were there. His kids were there. His beautiful wife, Harold Dean, was there. He said, I want my family to know that my life belongs to him. I'm going to wear Christ. I want to look like Christ. You're never too old. I, I, and I loved that. I looked up there and I saw his family. I saw those grandkids who, when they're struggling in their life with the old life, will remember their granddaddy saying, I belong to him. Hey, you know what? I got your jersey. I'm holding your jersey in my hand. And, and I want to point out to you, there's no name on the back of it. You know why? There's only one name. Only one name. Only one name that we bow our knee before and we confess. One name. Some of you today, you need to remember your baptism. 
And you need to give him your heart. Somebody today needs to come up and put this jersey on. 